tonight we're going to shift gears. Uh, of course, uh, we've been in Matthew chapter 6, 9, 10, and we finally got through verse 11 last week. But we are going to uh, come up very soon on verse uh, 12. And that's the part where we're talking about forgiving us as we've forgiven other people. And, and I just, I, I don't know about you, and, and maybe I'm taking this too seriously, but I doubt it. The hardest thing I think God has ever asked me to do is in that realm of mercy. Um, it costs me more than any other thing that is on, in my life. It is one of those, one of those um, you know, maybe if I didn't mean to hurt somebody and they get mad at me, but how many of you guys know when someone meant to hurt you, they're your enemy. They hate you. They, man, it's, it's so hard to muster that part of divinity within me to say, God in me, please give me grace to say, it's like it never happened. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to hit him. I just want him to walk into my hand sometimes. You know what I mean? So I, I really was, I wasn't wrestling with this, but I, I have historically wrestled with this. And I wanted to come tonight to a place that maybe is going to set up, up a little bit better for not next week with Pastor Adam, but the week after, we really get to the, the issues of forgiveness. So I want to prepare us, but for me, is the most challenging part of the teaching on prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Um, Jesus said this, we're going, to t- we're going to step out of the teaching on prayer to a completely different teaching so that we're better qualified to come back to this teaching in two weeks. Does that make perfect sense? Everybody got that? So Jesus says this, John chapter 13, verse 34, here's the standard, live with it. <laughs> As I have loved you, I didn't want to finish the rest of the sentence. As I have loved you, that perfect laying down my life, never making a mistake, understanding, complete patience, perfect, you know, love, just never wavering. As I have done that for you, here's my command, not my suggestion, not the grand goal, not the scheme to work towards. This is my command. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. It is really simple to comprehend this. Okay, I get it. The standard he used is the standard I'm to use. Like, like comprehending it is completely different than apprehending it. I have to now, app- I have to get my hands on this. I see it. I understand it. I actually believe it. That's actually part of the problem. <laughs> I see it. I understand it. And I believe it. But really getting a grip on it, that I would love you, that I would have that in me, first of all, that I would give it to my wife or to my, my grandchildren or to my children. Notice I started with the grandchildren first. Can I get a witness? You know what I mean? Like, but, but to the stranger, as I have loved you, Jesus says, mankind is to love mankind. You go, oh. How many of you guys know that when he said this, there was no social media? Can I get a witness? Come on, somebody help me out. It's gotten harder. Jesus is like, no. A naked, crucified Savior saying, I forgive you, is what we're shooting for. It's, it's Yeah. So this is, this is the issue with love as I understand it. Uh, love is, has feelings, but love is not a feeling. Somebody say amen. If you think that love is a feeling, I'm glad that you like country western music, but there's more to it than, than that. Um, love is a decision. Love is a predetermined set of priorities. Love is, there, there's a value to pizza. There's a value to the pets that we enjoy. There's a value to our home. And then there's what we love. And here's me, by the way, and what I love is actually greater than, my, than myself. And people say, I mean, I just love, I, I love that movie. It's like, I don't think you do. I think you like the movie and you enjoy the movie and maybe love is the wrong word. Um, man, I just, I just love our, you know, our, our leadership. I just love pizza. I just love, you know, fishing. I, I get what you're saying, but until you're ready to die for fishing, you don't actually love fishing. You just really enjoy it. As I understand love, and this is my own definition, um, 
but I, what I understand, I believe that Jesus loved me because he actually made me a greater priority than himself. Like, how do you know Jesus loves you? He died for you. Yeah, but he could have done more. Like, no, he actually couldn't. No one is ever going to go to the Father and say, you redeemed mankind based on that? That's the best you could give for mankind? They're going to say there was no greater price that could have been given. There's no greater act of love. There's no greater evidence or proof than that laying himself down for mankind. So think about this way. Here's my definition. I think that love is the costly, committed, consistent choice to treat others for their highest good regardless of reciprocation. Now, you didn't get that, and neither did I, so I'm going to slow way, way, way down. Let's start with the word costly. How many guys realize that love is going to cost you something? Two people. Let's try that again. And I, and I get it. This is not a screaming amen sort of sermon, but let me tell you something. It produces a screaming amen kind of life. This is, this is the key to it all. It really is. No, faith is. Yay. Faith without love. We're going to get to that in a minute. Yeah, but knowledge. Okay, knowledge without love. Like, we're going to get to that in a minute. You're going to find out that this is really the capital. This is the oxygen of the kingdom. This is, the, this is, this is it. This is everything. So it's costly. Everything that you value will bow to what you love. And we know what we love by what we, we bow to. It is the costly committed. It's not like, you know, it's Tuesday and I'm committed on Tuesday, but Wednesdays, that's my cheat day. You know, how many guys have cheat days on your diet? Come on, let it flap in the wind. There it is, right? Uh, me too. Like, like there's cheat days. How many guys understand that love doesn't have cheat days? Cheat days are actually called like, you know, adultery, <laughs> you know, um, unfaithfulness. Like there's, there is no, there is no cheat day in love. It is costly. It is committed. It is consistent. It is like when I have chosen, when I have pledged, when I have vowed my love, I recognize there is never going to be a moment where not loving will be appropriate for the rest of my life. Costly, committed, consistent, and I think this is probably the most powerful word other than the word love itself in this sense. It's a choice. It's a decision. Well, I, you know, I, I, my marriage is struggling right now. I don't know if we're in love anymore. It's like, I get that. I, I totally get that there are feelings that come and go in human relationships. But I can also say this, a covenant before God is a costly, committed, consistent choice. If, if every time we get into situations with our job or our neighbor or our family, we were like, it just isn't worth it anymore. Remember, hear me, you're, you're, you're loving something more than people. Now, that's not to say there is no biblical reason for divorce, and that's not to say you shouldn't separate from people ever for any reason. I'm simply saying this. There's a cost to love. There's a commitment to love, and there's a choice that we must make to be people of love. And what does that do? It creates the highest good for other people. For, for whatever it is we love, it creates the highest good for them regardless of whether or not they give it back to us. Now, this is where we get into some pretty serious stuff. When, when I first held my oldest son, Joshua, the first baby I ever held in my arms and liked it, all the other times, I was like, oh, he's beautiful. <sighs> Alien face with drool and, yeah, okay, you want him back? Here you go, you know? It's like, here's the ankles, swing, you know? But I'm holding my son in my arms, and it's a long story, I won't get into it, but the first time he ever opened his eyes and looked at me, what I said to him was, was really a surprise to me. It shocked me when I said it. I looked Joshua in the face, and I said, I'd die for you. Isn't that a strange thing to say to a baby? It wasn't even a baby like, I'd die for you. Yes, I would. I'd totally just give up my life for you. Yes, boogie woogie. You know what I mean? I just looked at him. He looked at me, and I said, wow, I'd die for you. What is that? That, that is, that is a, another way to say I love you, is it not? 
It's, it's an ignorant, spontaneous, not very cool Dr. Seuss kind of way to do it. But I looked at him and I said, you know what? There's nothing greater. There's no one preeminent. There's no danger I wouldn't face. There's no cost I wouldn't pay for you. The costly committed choice. And I, have, I had to act for his highest good. You realize that kid woke me up in the middle of the night. You realize he almost killed my wife. You realize he just completely destroyed my love life. You realize that, that there was a cost in dollars that we didn't have, and there was an inconvenience. I remember dressing up for church, one car, snowstorm, and there's the diaper, and there's the onesie, and there's the snowsuit, and there's the car seat, and there's the bottles, and there's, I'm, I'm going to Everest. When you're single, you get in your car and you go. When you're married, you sit in the car, you beep the horn, and then she comes out, and then you go. You're married. You pack for an expedition. You have children. It takes so much. There's strollers and wheelbarrows, and maybe I'm exaggerating, but not by much, right? And I remember getting all that, only to hear that noise and smell that smell and realize we had to start all over again. And how did he put it? In his hair and in his socks. I'm like 30, and I couldn't do that. My kid's a genius, right? For his highest good, for their highest good, regardless of whether or not he ever loves me back. As a father, how many guys are getting this? As a father, we love. As a mother, we love. As a spouse, we love. As a friend, we love. As believers, we are called to love in a costly, committed, consistent way where we choose to treat others for their highest good regardless. Guys, hear me. When Jesus says, I love you, Please hear, and, and I don't know why I feel like I'm fighting. I'm not fighting you, but I'm fighting something. I'm fighting for something that you need to get. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying and drops of blood are falling from his face, the feelings are not good feelings, and yet he does it anyway. When Jesus is beaten, when Jesus is crucified, when Jesus hangs naked in front of a mocking crowd in front of his mother and his best friend, none of the feelings associated with any of that are good feelings. They're shameful. The Bible actually says that. Despising the shame, Jesus did these things. Hear me. Love will cause us to do things that cost us stuff. Love will cause us to go places we don't want to go and say things that are hard to say and do things that are sacrificial and maybe even lay down our lives for somebody. There is no such thing as a grenade jumping drill in the military. We're going to throw a grenade and everybody practice jumping on it before the other guy jumps on it. Practice figuring out who the lowest ranking person is and throwing them on top of it. There's no, there's no such drill. So why when there's moments and there's no time to think does somebody always seem to jump in every war on a grenade? Because they love their friends that are about to die and they die for them. Are you getting this tonight? That's a costly, committed, consistent choice to treat others for their highest good regardless of reciprocation. It's not a feeling. Jesus decided to love us and the cross became the expression of that love. Law says, what's the most I can do before I get in trouble? How many of you guys were speeding on the way to church here tonight? Confess it, you're in church. Okay, you were proud of it in the back. That's weird. It wasn't like, I'm ashamed. It's like, I totally was. I stick shift, room. you know what I mean? How many of you guys do the least you can do without getting in trouble? How many of you guys filed your taxes? You understand? I'm like, I just love my government so much, I want to give more. Nobody ever really said that, right? It's not that. Love is what's the need and what's the cost to meet that need. If your parents, you know this. If your grandparents, you know this. Um, if you're not parents, you're going to know this because you will love them 
you will love your spouse more than you love yourself. I think Paul does the best job verbally explaining what love is. And he tells us some things in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a really obnoxious noise. I'm a crash, 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 gong, 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 right? It's like, that's, that's, you're an obnoxious noise. He talks beyond that. Um, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship or even like flames and sacrifice that I may boast, but I don't have love, it says I literally gain nothing. Guys, hear me. If you want to gain something, be something, and, and be worth listening to, you got to have love. Okay, have we learned this lesson yet? It doesn't matter if you're right, if you're unloving. You can say amen or not, but it's true. It doesn't matter how right we are. There's that old saying, I don't know who said it, but I, I wish it would have been me. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? So we have, as a church sometimes, or the church sometimes, has been guilty of saying things that are absolutely true, but because love wasn't the motivation for those words, it was an obnoxious noise of the people who heard it. It didn't come off corrective, it came off judgmental. You know what the difference is between being judged and being loved, it's not the words we speak. Because you can judge somebody with the exact same scripture that you love somebody. Does this make sense to you? When we discipline our children, we need to remind them of our identity and how their behavior didn't align with that identity. That when we're done disciplining them, we shouldn't feel better, they should feel better. Because they know who they are and they know how they walked off the trail. Does this make sense? So think of it this way, guys. Um, he goes on now to explain in detail the attributes, the characteristics of love. And he says this, love is patient. How many of you guys wish it didn't start that way, right? How many of you guys, anything that starts with patience and ends with perseverance is not going to be simple. It's going to be hard. It's going to take a long time. Love is patient. What is patience? I, I think patience is seeing somebody where they are but, but being committed to the process that it will take to see them as they're supposed to be in time. When my kid was throwing up and pooping his diaper, that's okay because I had patience knowing that someday he was going to have kids of his own and I would have the justice that the universe desires. Right? I'm sorry. That's funny. Love is patient. Love is kind. I just blew that one, didn't I? He says that it's kindness. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude in the sense that it dishonors others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It gets ticked, but not, it's not its first thing. It only gets angry when, angrier, when anger promotes what's best for the one that it's angry at. Jesus grabs cords and makes a whip out of it and turns over tables. It's not because he's just PO'd. It's because they need to know the seriousness of the offense of turning the house of God into a den of thieves. Does that make sense? That's what the anger was for. It keeps no record of wrongs. We'll get to that in two weeks. God help us all. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So I, here, here's, a, here's a tough thing to realize, but there's two things, and I look at that description, those characteristics. There's two things that stand out to me. And, and I wish it was a smaller group so I could say, what stands out to you? What stands out to you? But we're being recorded right now, and it'd be kind of like at home that couldn't hear you. So here's the two things. Every single one of those attributes costs the lover. Anybody ever woke up in the morning and said, man, do I feel patient today? I just hope somebody cuts me off in traffic because I just have so much. I can't wait to give away. Kindness. I mean, kindness to someone who's kind is one thing, but, but this is not that. This is kind to someone who's not kind. It's just kindness. When you're kind to someone who just had their greatest goal is to be a turd in your punch bowl, and you're kind instead, I, I'm telling you, there's a power to this stuff. 
It, it, but it takes something from you. Kind. Love is patient. Kind. It, it doesn't boast. doesn't envy. is isn't proud. doesn't rude. isn't self-seeking. All these things. Every single one of these things run contradictory to the human nature that we all have. I don't want to be patient. I choose the costly, committed, consistent practice of loving somebody by waiting for the process to be completed. I see them as they're going to be, not as they are, and I choose to wait patiently for that process to come to fulfillment. Again, parents, are you here? Friends, neighbors, family members, Romans, you know, let me your ear. What I'm trying to say is this. That is, please hear me, that is all, 100%, the attributes of love are a choice. The second thing I see is this. None of them are a feeling. Not a single one is a feeling. Not a single one. I mean, you, I, you might feel kind, but again, that's an expression of love. But you never feel patient. These things, hear me, as, as Scripture defines love, it is a costly, consistent, committed choice that we make to treat others for their best good, regardless of what it costs us, regardless of the commitment, regardless of the time that it takes, the patience, the perseverance that it takes. So do you understand what, why when we say, I love you, I just did a wedding last Saturday, and my son looked at now my daughter-in-law and in those vows made these sorts of wonderful statements, I promise to love you to honor you, to keep you, forsaking all others, keep you only unto you so long as we both shall live, for better or worse, richer or poor, sickness and health. Here, here's the only thing that I have an issue with, of all that stuff. He's, he's like 26. Now, those of you that are 46 or above, does he know anything about better or worse yet? Has he experienced sickness? I mean, sickness, like 90-year-old sickness and health. Has he, has he experienced richer and poorer? This is, this is why... We have young couples make vows that include words that at this point have a definition but not a testimony because you will never get the testimony unless you make the commitment early on to the definition. I choose to love you. I, I didn't say I will always be 26. I didn't say I will always have a full head of hair. I didn't say that stuff that's on the north end of me won't sag to the south end of me. I didn't say I will be perfect. What I said to you is tomorrow morning when you wake up, we're going to face whatever that day holds together. I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. I forsook all others, and I chose. I preferred. I, I, you are the one, regardless of what the doctor says to us for the rest of our lives, regardless of what the counselor says I got to work on for the rest of our lives, regardless of the economy, the sociology, the, the Facebook, the, the, the Twitter feed, the, the, the face the twit face book thing stuff. You know what I mean? Like, we, like no matter what happens, I'm going to look at you as I look at a newborn baby that is mine and say, from this day forward, I'd die for you. I know they don't know what those words mean, but I, know, I have no doubt in my mind that J.D. would die for Marissa. I, I have some doubts in my mind that Marissa won't kill him during the course of their marriage, right? Love gives at the expense of self. So you say, okay, Jim, great. What does it have to do with prayer? This is what it has to do with prayer. We pray because we love God. And sometimes that can be a costly, <laughs> committed, consistent choice to, to be in a relationship with him regardless of whether or not there's a reciprocal answer to our every prayer. Somebody say a good hearty amen. We choose to love God. Now, I love God. That's wonderful. But sometimes you just got to love God. There's a difference between I love God and I love God. One is you're holding on to something you can't hold on to. You're just believing 
You're just hoping. You're just, it's just called faith. It's not called sight. It's not called reality. It's called faith. It's called the things that I hope for and the substance of things I haven't seen yet. My fingers haven't touched it. My eyes haven't seen it. My ears haven't heard it. My tongue hasn't tasted it. And yet I know it's real. And so I choose this costly, committed, consistent behavior called I love God. Well, aren't you mad at him because da-da-da and this didn't happen? I, I, you know, I'm confused, but I have a costly, committed, consistent does this make sense? Guys, if your faith isn't greater than your pleasures, you ain't going to make it long. Yeah, it's a wonderful quietness that comes to this church sometimes. Just something I want to turn around and go, amen. Yeah, okay, good. Hey, thank you. Yeah. I just mean this. I mean, it, it is such a, boy, be very careful of making God your servant. Be very careful in making God your master. A costly, committed, consistent choice that you're number one. You are divine, and I am the branch. Amen. All right. And we pray because we love people. When God's kingdom is trying to come to earth to relieve the suffering, the bondage, the sadness, the sin, because we love him, we continue in a relationship regardless of whether or not it's the best day of our life or we just got beat up and thrown in prison in Philippi. And we pray because we love people. Now this, I, I will admit to you, this is a, this is a, a, a jab, 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 waiting for the, the haymaker of two weeks from now. But these are, this is your homework assignment. I want you to think of this. Love costs Jesus everything. Piano guy, join me if you would, please. Is that, is that statement like, do you get that? Like I looked at my son and said, I'd die for you. Jesus didn't just say it. He did it. I mean, I, I would have. Somebody breaks in with a gun. I'm going to take your son, like, over my dead body, right? Today, someone broke in. I'm going to take your son. I'm, I'd be like, son, get him. But I, I still, he's, you know, he's young enough. He should die for me now. Amen. And I'd still die for Josh. I'd die for JD. I'd die for Dina, right? Somebody kicks in the door in the middle of the night. I don't say, honey, go see who that is. I get out of bed with a 44 Magnum and, and go see if it's time to aerate somebody. I don't know. But I would rather it was me. Then it was her because I love her. I'd rather it was me than my sons, my daughter-in-laws, my grandchildren, right? Love cost Jesus everything. So here's my question. What is love going to cost you? Because it's patient. It's kind when it doesn't want to be. It's gentle. What's love going to cost you? Um, we're going to close out in a moment. How many guys know what it means when I say we're going to close out in a moment? Absolutely nothing. Thank you. It's good to have you. See, I've been gone for a long time. I feel like nothing's changed. Good. good. Rights versus responsibilities. This is what I want you to know. You don't have to, as I understand Scripture, you, it is a commandment to love God. It's a commandment to love your neighbor. But I think we get to choose on some degree who our neighbors are. I, I have, a, I have a, an amount of love that seems to fit a certain number of people during certain dynamics. I don't have this. I, I have something smaller than this. Jesus has this. Well, even this, I guess, is a better description. I, I have something much smaller than that, and I, I pray that it grows. I pray that another person can kind of fit in there and fit in there and fit in there, right? And it, and it is growing to some degree, but every time I choose to love somebody, I'm actually, I have my rights and I have my responsibilities. But when I choose to love somebody, when, they, when, when I chose to, to marry Dina, this is, this is my life, this is my time, 
this is my money. But when I took a wife, rights, responsibilities, I increased my responsibilities, and so doing, I decreased my rights. Does this make sense? Now, it's, it's, it's not my time. It's our time. You cannot get married and live like a single person. My money, my time, my life. That's what destroys marriages. So if you're going to get married, it becomes our money, our time, our life. And then God blesses you with children. What happens to your rights? What happens to your responsibilities? My money, my time, my life. Our money, our time, our life. Kids, I don't have any money. I don't have any time. I don't have any life. But isn't it, isn't that, this is what you have to get. Who's happier? The guy with all the rights? Or the person with all the responsibilities? Now think about that. You used to be single. And something, you, you used to be married, but kids. You, you used, to, used to be an employee, but now you got this desire to start a business. You used to be you know, a person that just came to church, but now you've decided to engage in helping other people. You used to. Who's happier? The guy with all the rights and no responsibilities? The midlife crisis guy that traded in his wife on a younger model, got a convertible, bought a Harley on credit card? Is he happier than the guy that stayed committed? Not in a million years. Not in a million years. And this is, this is the secret of love. It costs you everything, and it's so stinking worth it. This is going to sound strange. I don't mean to freak you out. Um, Dina and I, we live this way. Why? Because we're committed to you. And that's like, oh, I have to be recipro. No, you don't have to reciprocate. It's a costly, consistent, committed choice. I don't like the way the church is. I don't think that that music is so, I just love you. I want to kill you, but I love you. I don't think, I, I don't care. I love you. Well, I, well your politics, I, I, I love you. But my, my differing, I, and I, listen, I, how many guys know I'm not dead. I'm just called to death. <laughs> It'd be easier if I was dead. Crucified people only look in one direction. And so I'm trying to, <laughs> you can be hateful, but I love you. The world can be hateful to the church. And the church's response shouldn't be, well, I have a right to, no, I have a right. I gave up my rights and I took on responsibilities to love a world that doesn't love me back. But I have a right to, you, as light, you gave up your right to just be shiny all on your own and, and hide yourself under a bowl because you're on a candlestick and the whole world needs to see the light of the love of God. Not, not going to see it through a, a bedtime story. Not going to see it through a podcast. They're going to see it through flesh and blood. The word became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus. And the word of Jesus now becomes flesh and dwells among us in you. And just like the disciples needed to see Jesus in the flesh, so the world needs to see the body of Christ today. Does this make sense? So when we're talking about love, I, two weeks from now, forgiving others or we're not forgiven, whoo, the only way that works is not if we're really disciplined. It's if we're really dead. Because as long as I have rights, I will shrug my responsibilities. But as soon as that's my baby, I got to feed it. As soon as that's my wife, I got to care for her. As soon as that's what I've chosen to love consistently, costly, committedly, I am, I'm reducing my options. I am zeroing in on the life that God has called me to. Has this made sense tonight? I pray that it has. There are those among us that we're going to celebrate. We won't be able to do it right now, but we'll be doing it live at, at a service here later this week. Zeke Soriano. How many of you know Zeke Soriano? Young kid, job, whatever he wants to do, rights, responsibilities. He joins FCMA. 
he is, he is now received, and, and starting a week from Sunday, is the children's pastor at Otis Assembly, Otisville Assembly of God. <clears throat> it was his life, not his life anymore. Dejanae Hull will be celebrating her coming up just in a couple of days. Dejanae Hull, just a local girl. We love her, love the family, watched her grow. She's wonderfully weird, and we've been on mission trips together. There's no cost too high. Dejanae Hull has accepted the youth pastor's position at Risen Church in Swords Creek with uh, Kayla and Jenny Isaac. And we, saw, we throw confetti at those things. And, and lastly, we're going to throw confetti at uh, Jim Parkin. How many of you guys know Jim Parkin, one of our medic security guys? Jim has now been asked to serve, and uh, he is uh, starting about three weeks ago. We'll be celebrating it as a congregation, but he is now the chaplain of the Graham Blank Fire Department. We will be on, all, on scene with all the deaths and all the, you know, he, he's running towards the fire, not running from the fire. He's running towards the tragedy, not away from it. You know what's happened to his rights? Right? Kids that are being baptized Sunday. You know what they're doing? They're doing this. And every time we take the responsibility, Kim, I feel like I always, I always make an example of you, but I'm looking right at you. That, I love your ministry, and I love your heart. You know, when you took on that ministry, it, you, you gave up a lot of rights, and you took on a lot of responsibilities, because now people look at you as an example. People look at me. People look at her. People look at us as an example. Hear me. The guy that's happier, the woman that's happier, is not the person that shrugs a responsibility. It's the one that lovingly takes responsibility and expands that circle of love and builds the kingdom of God. If you say amen, I'll quit preaching. Good, good. Stand to your feet. Rights, responsibilities. Love, not love. Your life, if you live your life for yourself, you will spend it. If you lay your life down for others, you will invest it in such a way that a harvest comes back 30, 60, 100 times what would you sow into it. That's the way I want to live my life. As your friend, that's the way I want you to live your lives. But this one guy's really hard. There's always one guy that's really hard. You know what that really hard guy has taught me? Taught me there's a part of me that's still alive that needs to be crucified. Taught me there's a part of me that doesn't look like Jesus yet because Jesus doesn't look at him that way. Those people or that opinion or that, you know what that tells me? It tells me parts of me are still alive that Jesus would rather were dead. And so I thank God for the pings on my radar. You know what I mean? The, the pings on my sonar for the Navy guys. You know what I mean? I go, oh, there's something that, there's something, there's an obstruction that shouldn't be there. It's keeping the kingdom of God from my life. So as people irritate the crud out of you, maybe it's the devil trying to kill you but maybe God won't waste that opportunity to show you a piece of you that doesn't look like Jesus yet, that you could crucify it, and maybe you could love your enemy. Maybe you could pray for those and do good to those who despitefully use you. Maybe you could forgive, maybe. So Father, tonight I thank you for your mercy and your love. That love is not something you talk about, it's something you did. If we ever wonder or question, does God still love me? I think the question should be, was there ever a cross? Was there ever a son, a beloved son, a one and only son that hung on it and bled and died for me? If I ever doubt the power of your love, let me look at the power of the cross and realize you do it all over again. But you don't have to because your mercies are new every morning and you're wounded for all of our transgressions, bruised for all of our iniquities. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just. You forgive us of our sins. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that is a sweet part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I lay down my rights, I guess that makes me kind of a noble. But God dies 
to save sinners, greater love hath no man. <laughs> no one will ever outlove you. No one, you know, Jesus died on a cross and someone turned his body and said, hold my beer. I'll, I'll, I'll go do it better. Like there's nobody that's going to do it better. The greatest single price ever paid was paid for us. We are redeemed by faith. So I pray God today. If there's anybody here, you're like, I, I just thought right with God and I don't know if I ever will be again. Remind us that what you've done is more powerful than what we've done. Remind us that you look in our eyes and say, I die for you and then did. I defeat death for you, and then you did. I'll raise from the dead and be seated at the right hand of the Father, calling out your name day and night because you did. I'll send my Holy Spirit that you'll be empowered and you'll be free because you did. I believe the greatest days are in front of us and not behind us, God. I pray that no one would miss it because of condemnation, guilt, and shame. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Listen, if you're here, you're like, I need God. I need his mercy. Then just reach out. Right here, right now. God, forgive me, a sinner. God, help me. God, set me free. God, give me a clean slate, a fresh start. Give me a new beginning. Make me born all over again. And watch what he does with that prayer. He died for you. People that say, I believe in God, I go, that's sweet. <laughs> but it's powerless. You have to believe that the God you believe in, I mean, the one true God, that he believes in you. And when you believe that, you're a dangerous person. It's hard to convince you otherwise once you've experienced it. So God, I pray, let us experience your love and let us give away that experience freely in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys.